0: Hey guys, Um, welcome to DNC. My name's Kristen, for those of you who don't know me. Um, If you're new, I want to take a second to just welcome you, and we're glad you're here. Um, So our main announcement today is we're having a ladies' lunch, and this is for anyone who is in our adult women's ministry that has graduated from college. So we're going to be going to Choloso after church, so please join us if if you're an adult lady. I think that's it, honestly. So next time, I'm going to pass the offering basket, and Brad can come
1: up. All right, good morning. Uh, Welcome to DNC. Uh, My name is Brad, one of the ministers here. This is your first time. We're glad you're here. Uh, We've got a number of announcements uh, this morning, so we're going to kind of make through them quickly. Uh, We've been doing uh, a short little mini-series thing, five minutes a time on giving. Uh, We don't talk about giving much around here. We usually just pass the basket and expect you're going to give. Well, you don't. Uh, so that's why we're talking about giving Um, and uh, so we've been uh, three weeks already talking about it we'll have today and then one more week Um, and so if you uh, haven't uh, been keeping track of that that's okay I'll do a really really quick um, review of what we've been talking about all four of these categories or types of giving start with R so that should be pretty easy for you to remember Uh, Probably the easiest for you to remember is that most of you are rookies when it comes to giving. You just sort of give really randomly, which are two other R words. So, rookie, really random giver, okay? Um, No. (laughs) The second one that we talked about was regular giving, which is, you know, you actually have some kind of schedule for giving. Uh, Believe it or not, from rookie down to uh, regular, uh, there's a pretty huge decline in terms of uh, who actually is a regular giver. So the next two that we're going to talk about are uh, like maybe one or two percent of our church. So these are something that you should be shooting towards for uh, becoming a giver like this. So the R that I was given was relative giver, which makes no sense. So of course I changed it uh, to rare giver. Okay. Um, then there's radical. That's the last one. So, you know, there you go. So let me give you a, a few things to think about for this idea of being a rare giver. All right. Number one, in your thinking, uh, does your money actually belong to God or do you give God his percentage? So a lot of us uh, are Old Testament when it comes to giving. We like to give God our first fruits or our tithe and then it keep the rest for ourselves. But a rare giver is someone who truly believes their money belongs to God and all of it is is for his use and they don't just believe this they actually live that out in the way that they spend their money okay So the rare giver is is someone, unlike the regular giver who actually believes all their money belongs to God and uses it accordingly, the regular giver is someone who, you know, I'll give my percentage to God, whatever that is, which in America our average giving at churches is 2%. It's not even close to 10%. But even if you're giving 10%, that's not anything to be too excited about because you're still just probably a regular giver. Uh, You're giving God his percentage. All right? Uh, A habit that would be associated with this rare type of giving uh, that we give excessively, Okay, sometimes too much, and we're looking for constant opportunities to give. Pretty much everything around us is an opportunity to give our money to something uh, that's beyond just what we want to do with it, something that God's doing with it. A regular giver is someone who more like gives out of their excess, so they get a lot of money, uh, windfall, if you will, and then want to give a little bit of it because they feel guilty for not giving God his percentage, and they usually have to be asked. There has to be some special contribution, something that's going on, and that person will generally give. A reflection question for you uh, that uh, I have you all consider, when you have budgeting cuts, you have less income, you have some major hospital bill, is giving one of the first things you cut, all right? And that's a really, I think, thoughtful question. Is that one of the first things you're like, mm, Giving I don't really need to do, so I'll probably cut that out of my budget uh, versus all of the other things that you may spend your money on. And then I'm going to give you one action item for this uh, type of giving, and that is to give more than one of your major monthly bills. This is where the relative part comes in. It's the idea that you're giving a substantial amount, and it's not just some easy percentage, but you're looking at your bills, the things that you're spending, and you're giving more than one of your monthly uh, bills and so that 's kind of an action item for those of you who are looking to uh, to challenge yourself on this giving all right, so we 'll have one more this next week and it 's going to be on radical giving and I 'm sure Leslie will be the one to talk about that um, but uh, since Leslie 's speaking today, which is awesome, I figured I just needed to come up here and do at least a little talk so that you didn 't forget who was really in charge around here uh, so um, yeah, boo uh, now, all right, yeah. Woo-hoo. Uh, I believe we have one more announcement. Sarah's going to come on up and share about sort of an initiative that we're going to be doing uh, for the next uh, couple of months. Hey, y'all. Okay,
2: so we've talked about this a few times um, in our uh, adult leadership groups, our CHULA groups, Um, but we're going to be talking a bit more and sharing more here in church about workplace outreach Um, and so yeah so i'm just going to share a little bit about that And mine, we want them to be personal stories from you, but also have an application at the end. So something that everybody can take away and be able to practice and not just a feel-good story, which are great. We love your feel-good stories, uh, but also have a practical use for that. So mine is about three weekends ago, uh, some of my biological family came into town. My biological mom, my niece, and um, and Daryl was uh, or is uh, my biological mom Donna's husband. Um, they all come from very different backgrounds and visions of like what church is. Uh, my birth mother was very abused by her pastor father. And uh, Daryl really hates the idea of church. He thinks it's for smart, uppity people who have had a background in it and and understand it, but for him, it's not for him. Um, And uh, that day, um, Brad happened to. He Grant had asked a question um, and asked Brad to clarify and give an example of what he had said, and Brad talked about cars, and that is Daryl's job. <laughs> Daryl works with cars and works with big heavy machinery for twelve plus hours a day. That's all he does is work, 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 and um, and as Brad was speaking uh Daryl really connected with that and Daryl came out of church and was talking nonstop uh about that in the car ride to go eat lunch together and he was just talking about how he had never heard the gospel or the Bible spoken in a way that he had understood um and so as you're going into your workplaces and um, you're talking to your coworkers, they may be a Daryl and they may be someone who if you are speaking about a Bible passage or you're talking about Jesus, like it's not gonna connect with Daryl if you just say the name Jesus and start talking about a parable and he, he's not gonna understand it. But when you think about the gospel in an application way and you're telling a story, you're using something that the other person understands and knows, uh, it can really make a lasting effect. And Daryl really wants to learn more about the Bible. And he wants to know, um, he wants to know the and see the Bible the way that Brad does in a way that he can understand it. And so we can all do that for people in our lives like we have that capability and it just takes a little bit of practice like that might seem like I don't know how to tell a story I don't know how to make this that way like it you're probably going to mess up a couple of times you're probably going to try and connect a story to some sports thing or some video game application and it's just gonna whoop, go right over their heads and it it's not going to make any sense, but you just have to practice and really try to make that connection. And people are really going to appreciate that and um, really connect with you on that. So yeah, next we are, we're going to try and do a sharing time for your workplace outreach stories. So um, it won't be this upcoming Sunday, but the Sunday after that we'll do like a kind of week hiatus in between our sharing, um, because we have so many other things to share in our church body. Uh, So just be thinking and talking with your friends about your workplace and stories that you have. And if you hear something from somebody, ask them to share it. Ask them to stand up on Sunday and do that. And let's really be a community that shares and expresses the things going on in our lives and the people that we connect with, because that's really important. It's encouraging, it's letting us know that we're all working towards the same goal. So
0: yeah. Sarah, thanks for sharing that. That was really powerful, and I think um, something that we all can really think about and put into practice, or at least start thinking about how to put it into practice. Good morning. I just want you guys to know that I'm glad you're here, and um, I think that. Sometimes it's hard to feel like uh, in the midst of a crowd like this that it makes a difference whether you're here or not, and I just want you to know that it makes a difference. Um, It makes a difference to me. It makes a difference to our body. It makes a difference to our God, Um, and I'm glad that you made the effort to be here this morning, Uh, seeing you, being able to talk with some of you and just be together on Sunday, Uh, Inspires me to live the rest of my week um, for God and for the people that He puts into my life. And I can't get that at home by myself. I can only get that being together with you. And so I appreciate you being here. Um, Ladies, I wanted to start by asking you just to put a date on your calendar December the 7th. We're going to do some type of a Ladies' Christmas event at my house. So get that on your calendar now so that you won't miss out. Anybody that wants to come, yeah, yeah. And so I, it's gonna be from 11 to one on Saturday, December 7th, and if we have a ton of people, we'll either squish in or we'll move to a different location, we'll just see what happens. And, but I did wanna say a word about that too, about why we have some things that we invite only the non-student women to, and some things that we invite all the women to, or same with the men. And part of that is because as we want our college students to participate in focus. We want you to be a part of a core. We want you to um, be involved with the people that God brings into your life on campus. And we believe that focus is the best way for you to do that. And so we don't wanna drain your time by having you participate in adult events as well. We know that you have a lot going on already. Um, The other thing is that we need to build relationships among our non-student adults. And that can get difficult when we have a whole bunch of people there To figure out, okay, who are students and who are not. And so that's why we have some events that are separate and we have some events that are all together. But please do not in any way take that as us saying, we're not interested in you or we don't want, we don't consider you a part of the church. That is the furthest thing from the truth. The truth is we just want to be able to minister to everybody here in the best way that we can and to encourage everybody in the best way we can. And that's our best attempt to do that. So know that you are loved, know that you are valued, um, and don't get your feelings hurt when we do separate events. Let me be clear. This is a ladies-only event. There will be no men. (laughs) Uh, You'll have to ask the men about that. Maybe you need to plan it, Justin. Men's only event, same day at Justin's place. He'll provide all the food. (laughs) Okay, a minute set my little alarm here to keep me on track. Um, Okay, so we are in uh, the middle of a series about identity, and we're pulling from the In Christ passages from Paul's writings and talking about what does that mean for our identity. And then we're also relating that to a psalm, and so um, I'm going to do my best to do that this morning. Remember that all of this is outlined on Facebook. There's, it tells what topic we're covering every week. It tells what scripture we're going to use for that so that you can prepare ahead of time by reading that scripture and kind of thinking through it, finding what the In Christ passage is, and be thinking through how does that relate to our identity. So this week we're going to be in Colossians. And I just want to start by reminding you a little bit about Colossians. And one of the things I want to say about this is, guys, I don't know all this information without looking it up. Like, I've not memorized all the information about every book. And so I go to textbooks and I go to different sources that I have and I look up information about it. And my encouragement to you is you can do that, too. Like, there's nothing special about me that allows me to find this information and share it with you, other than I've taken the time to do it, that's all. So Colossians, the church at Colossians was a house church, so don't be thinking of a big group like us meeting in a building. It was a small group meeting in somebody's house. Paul did not start that church, and he had not been to that church. So this is much like Romans in that he had not visited there, but he's writing a letter to them. Epaphras was the one that founded the church there. And the important thing about that is that Epaphras was a co-worker of Paul's. And so even though Paul had not been there, they were very much influenced by him. It was a largely Gentile church. There was a group of um, Jews that lived in the area, and probably some were a part of the church, but in general, it was mostly Gentile. And Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome there was some type of a teaching. You'll hear people refer to it as a heresy that was going on in the Colossian church, but it's not very well defined. So we aren't sure exactly what Paul is addressing. But if we look at some of the clues in reading Colossians, we see that it includes something about there are superior or deeper forms of wisdom and knowledge and understanding that we can get at if we just do these certain things. And so it seems like they were probably bringing in some of the elements of pagan religions and philosophies that many of them had grown up in and then converted to Christianity. So they're trying to combine some of those things in with Christianity, and Paul's saying, stop doing that. Christianity is about Christ. It's about our power in Christ. It's not about anything else. And so that's just kind of the summary, uh, kind of some of the background of what's going on here in Colossians. So we're going to start by reading chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 16 through 23, and I'm going to read that all the way through the first time, and then we'll go back and kind of look at some of it. And I'm reading out of the NIV. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, who in chapter 1, Paul tells us, is Christ. So they've lost connection with Christ, from whom the whole body, the church, is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews and grows as God causes it to grow. with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They lack any value in keeping you from sin. Christ is the one that gives you that power. So let's go back and look at verses 16 and 17. First of all, it starts with the word, therefore. And if it starts with the word therefore, it means we need to look back up and see what is this in response to. And so basically what we see is that all of our sins were forgiven in Christ, that the slate was wiped clean, so do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. My grandparents were born in the early 1900s. And so they uh, would have been in their 20s, so-ish, around the time of the Great Depression. They um, didn't have a lot of things or money. They didn't have technology. There were no TVs. Um, And so they entertained themselves a lot by singing for each other or by telling stories or by doing shadow shows. And shadow shows is one of the things I remember doing with my grandparents. They would hang a big sheet up in the um, doorway and shine a light on it, and then you could do your hands different ways and it would make these different little shadows. But a shadow is not a reality. Like you would get a really weird picture of what a dog is if you looked at our little dog shadows on the shadow show. You know, It's not gonna tell you about the real thing very much. I, for as long as I can remember, have always wanted to be a mom, and I had dolls that I played with, but my favorite was to dress my dog up, and so I would put my dog in baby clothes, and I would put her in the stroller, and I would cover her with a blanket and give her this little doggy pacifier that I had, and then I would push her around the neighborhood, and so people would stop and say, oh, let me see your baby. Oh, your baby's so, so cute, Let's take that a step further. Let's assume that as an adult, I take my baby in a stroller, and in the stroller I have baby clothes, and I have a bottle, and I have a blanket, and I have a few little baby toys, but when people look in the stroller, they're, they go, where's the baby? And I'm like, well, the baby's right there. Look at all those baby things. That's, you know, that's the baby. And those things, are just the evidence of a baby. They're not really a baby. They're just evidence of a baby. And so if I focus only on those things, I never get to be a mom. I miss out on what it is to really be a mom. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that when you eat, what you eat or drink in religious festivals and even the Sabbath, that those are not the real thing. They are evidence of it. Christ is the real thing. And so when you focus on these things and make them the real deal, you miss out on the opportunity to have a relationship with Christ. You miss out on the opportunity of what it means to be a real Christian, because that is only found in Christ. You have to know him. You have to imitate him. You have to live like him. He's the real deal. So what shapes our identity as Christians is this this idea in verse 17 that reality is found in Christ and nothing else. Reality is found in Christ and nothing else. And we've been talking about, is that objective or is that subjective? How? (laughs) So that's a guess. So remember that objective is something that's already been completed and already been done, and subjective is something that's ongoing, that is a two-way process with us in Christ. So is reality something that's already happened, or is reality something that's ongoing? Being in Christ is objective, already done, already done. Reality is ongoing, We find reality in Christ as we go through this two-way process of pursuing an intimate relationship with him and then living out that relationship in all our different social contexts. So it's happening. It's ongoing. We do that with him. And all of our social contexts include our neighborhoods, our marriages, our friendships, our places of work, where we might go and work out every part of our lives. And it's about looking like Jesus in every part of our lives. So everything about us, everything about the way we live, has to be re-examined and has to be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. So suffering, money, comfort, jobs, being treated unfairly, our emotions, all of those are held up to Christ and transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us pretty strongly in this passage that our identity in Christ does not come from doing Christian things. Our identity in Christ comes from the reality of living out life with him and being transformed. So I only have two points today. The first one is, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Everybody likes a good mystery. We see the popularity of murder mystery dinners, and podcasts about unsolved mysteries, and book series like Harry Potter. Everybody loves a mystery. And there are even these really cool murder mystery boxes that you can buy. And so the premise of this is that you get one every three months, and it's a box that comes filled with all of these things to solve a crime. And so one of the things that you get is a summarization of the crime by someone that was involved. And so that might be a journal, it might be a case file, it might be a personal log, something like that. And then there are also these pieces of evidence that are sealed up. And so at certain points, you're prompted to open those as you go through trying to solve this mystery and solve this case. And so these things, we have some people in our body that submit to those and and do those things. They're a lot of fun. Um, People are really interested in them. But I think that what people really love about this is that they can say, I can figure out what no one else could. I can look at the clues and I can figure out what nobody else could figure out. And that's, I think, what's going on in verses 18 and 19. when when Paul talks about people in the church that claim they've discovered these superior paths and these deeper insights and these mysteries that hold the secret to some higher level of spirituality, you know, they're saying, I found what nobody else can find. And it's okay to start with Jesus, but if you really want to be spiritual, then here's what you need to do. You need to do these things that I've discovered. And Paul says, that is ridiculous. Stop it. That's ridiculous. And he says, seeking thrilling spiritual experiences is not reality. As a matter of fact, it's distracting you from living life in Christ, which is real. That's what is real. And so what he means when he says people who do these things, that's what he means when he says people who do these things have lost connection with the head. They've lost connection with Christ, who is the secret to reality. So pursuing these thrilling spiritual experiences and submitting to these rules are not real life. We've died to that form of living, he goes on to say, and we live by the power of a new life, a life that's shaped by Christ, And this is not a one-time event that happens, right? Like most of us wish it was. We wish this was a one-time thing where it's just done and we're there and we can live like Christ and everything's good, but it's not. It's a process. It's something that goes on. It's a story that Christ writes with us that is ongoing. And the mystery is revealed as we live out our life with Christ. Now hear me, this is you and Christ living life together. This is not, here's what I need to do in order to get this right. This is not, if I just do these things, Christ will be pleased with me. This is a relationship that you live out with him and it's ongoing. And so the second point is, that's just living like Jesus in every part of our lives. So first, it's a mystery. There's a mystery to it of what does this look like because it happens as we go, but it's living like Jesus. And when we look at Jesus' life, what we see is total surrender and what we see is consistency across his life. There's nothing in his life that suggests compartmentalization. In the same way, nothing that makes up your life belongs to you. Nothing that makes up your life belongs to you. It all belongs to Him. So we live like Him in, again, our marriages, friendships, jobs, neighborhoods, and every part of our lives we submit to Him. Guys, if you start reading Colossians at the beginning and you read the entire book, it flows together really well. I wanted to read the whole book, but I was afraid I would lose you if I read the whole book. Um, It's just hard to pay attention for that long. But flowing out of chapter two, where we talk about reality being in Christ, then he starts talking about what it looks like to live in Christ. And then towards the end of chapter three, where we get all of the um, instructions about husbands and wives and children and slaves, when we get all of those instructions, he's telling them this is what it looks like to live that out in these different social contexts. So I would encourage you to read all of Colossians because I think you'll find it really helpful in thinking through this. So I'm going to go on to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and see if we can bring this down a little bit more practically. And I'm going to read the next few out of the message. So 3, 1 and 2 says this, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. See things from his perspective. So if I think about that in terms of my neighborhood life, um. We have some neighbors um, in our neighborhood um, that we don't know personally, but I've heard from some of the focus houses get very irritated when cars park in front of their house. That is like, no, no, we do not want cars parked in front of our house. And so my inclination is, well, I'll just tell everybody that comes over to park right smack dab in front of their house, and I'll just annoy them to no end. But if I'm going to live life like Jesus, then I've got to stop and think about how did I see Jesus handle those kinds of things in his life? And I have to think about what might God be trying to do in the lives of my grumpy neighbors that he wants me to step in and help with. See, I don't get to just do what I want to do. If I'm going to live life with him, then I'm going to bring Jesus into that with me. And I'm going to let him transform me out of that rotten attitude that I have to be who he needs me to be in that situation. In Colossians 3, 5, and 6, it says this, and that means killing off everything connected with the way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. See, we don't get to do that. And so that means submitting my feelings to God. And so if I feel lonely because my family and my closest friends live 45 minutes away from Denton, and Denton North Church is not the people that I grew up with. It's not familiar to me. It's not even the way that I might like to do church. I have to ask myself, is God freeing me to do what I want to do here? Or does he have a purpose for having me at Denton North? Does he want me to stay here? Or does he want me to do what I just feel like doing? And so again, I've got Jesus walking along with me, showing me what this looks like in his life. I look back at his life, and I don't see that in his life, that I just get to do what I want to do in those decisions. Sometimes God lets me do what I want to do, but I've got to check with him first. And then Colossians 3, 12, and 13 So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Does that sound like the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians? Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Um, I got to go to teen camp this summer, and there were a lot of really powerful things that happened there. But I'm going to tell you one story because I think it illustrates this point well. There was a couple of um, football players from Wiley High School that came. One of them had been a part of um, the Christian Teen Fellowship the year before and had just kind of quit coming. He had been to camp before, and so he felt like he really needed to go back to kind of get centered. And he invited this other football player to come with him, um, and he had never been to anything like that before. And so as we're going through the week, one of the girls discovers, I know who that guy is. He has a reputation for being a bully. And when I was a freshman in high school, he bullied me relentlessly. And he told me, you should just go kill yourself. He was awful to her. And she said, but here's the thing. I feel like Jesus wants me to tell him that I forgive him. Why? He didn't ask for her forgiveness. Why and how? How do you forgive that? How do you forgive somebody saying those things to you and devaluing you? How do you do that? But what she did was she said, I'm really afraid that when I go talk to him, he's gonna be mad at me when I tell him what he did to me. But I'm just gonna go do it anyway. And so she goes and pulls him aside and tells him who she is and tells him what he said to her. And as she's talking, this big, ginormous football player, tears start rolling down his eyes, his shoulders start to shake. He starts sobbing. And he tells her, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry I ever said those words to you. Please forgive me. And the rest of the time we were at teen camp, he could not sit through praise, and worship without sobbing. Because see, when she was able to do what Jesus does for us and offer him forgiveness, he was able to see God as a God that could offer him forgiveness too. And that's what it means to find reality in Christ. It's what it means to live life in Christ is the things that we have no idea how we're going to do, how we're going to accomplish, or why we even should. The power of the Holy Spirit transforms us and transforms the people around us. See, a rule did not help her in that situation. There was no rule that was going to help her forgive him. Only Christ could help her forgive him. And that's the mystery. It's the mystery of our ongoing story. It's the mystery of the things we encounter with Christ and how he transforms us to be able to act like him and how he transforms us to be able to see people like him. And as we persevere in that, because I can tell you that story and that's a really beautiful story, but that's hard. There is nothing easy about that. Just because it's a beautiful story doesn't mean it's easy to do. But as we persevere, we get to see the miracle of God doing the good things that he's promised. And we get to see the miracle of our transformation becoming reality. So let's get excited about that kind of mystery. Let's get excited about reading that kind of story. The psalm that I picked to go with this this morning is Psalm chapter forty. And I think um, as I read this, you'll hear the echoes of reality being found in Christ. And as Brad encouraged us to, I'm going to read this psalm out of the message. I waited and waited for God. At last he looked. Finally, he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch, pulled me from deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your backs on the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's a huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. Nothing and no one comes close to you. I start talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. Doing something for you, bringing something for you, that's not what you're after. Being religious, acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me, and I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me, and I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. That's when God's word entered my life, became part of my very being. I've preached you to the whole congregation. I've kept nothing back, God. You know that. I didn't keep the news of your ways a secret, didn't keep it to myself. I told it all, how dependable you are, how thorough. I didn't hold back pieces of love and truth. For myself alone, I told it all. Let the congregation know the whole story. Now, God, don't hold out on me. Don't hold back your passion. Your love and truth are all that keeps me together. When troubles ganged up on me, a mob of sins passed counting. I was so swamped by guilt I couldn't see my way clear. More guilt in my heart than hair on my head. So heavy the guilt that my heart gave out. Soften up, God, and intervene. Hurry and get me some help. So those who are trying to kidnap my soul will be embarrassed and lose face. So anyone who gets a kick out of making me miserable will be heckled and disgraced. So those who pray for my ruin will be booed and jeered without mercy. But all who are hunting for you, oh, let them sing and be happy. Let those who know what you're all about tell the world you're great and not quitting. And me, I'm a mess. I'm nothing and have nothing. Make something of me you can do it, you've got what it takes, but God, don't put it off. So I would encourage you to take some time and read over that psalm again this week to see how it relates to this in Christ passage. As we think about communion today, I found something I wanted to share with you that um, relates to the whole idea of what it means to find reality in Christ and that I think is something uh, that I truly love about our God. And it says this, I don't need a form of faith that requires that I deny pieces of reality in order to have peace of heart. I don't want to be in the position of having to close my eyes to things and make believe they're not there. True peace is found in knowing that your Heavenly Father is not afraid of nor will he be defeated by what makes you afraid or has the power to defeat you. Peace comes when you rest in the fact that grace has connected you to the one who has overcome everything that could cause your heart to be troubled. See, it's one of my favorite things about this whole reality being found in Christ is that Christ deals in reality. He doesn't call us to see things in a way that aren't true or aren't real. He calls us to see things in a way that are true and to hear what he has to say about them and to see what he can do about them and how he's going to transform us in that. And so we can have peace knowing that he's overcome those things. And I think that's a really important part of knowing that reality is found in Christ. We can trust that life in him is not about denying reality, but about in living it with him. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to take communion together. If you haven't been with us before, um, there will be people standing at the back and they'll be holding a cup of grape juice and um, some pieces of bread and just take a piece of bread and dip it into the grape juice. And that's how we take our communion here. Um, We talk with one another. We celebrate together what Jesus has done for us. We celebrate our life in Christ together. um, And so we would invite you to join with us. Then we'll come back and sit down. And finish out our service. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are a Jesus that doesn't deny the realities around us. I thank you that you meet them head on and that you walk us through them. I'm thankful that we can find real life in you. And I pray, God, that we would have an intimate personal relationship with you that allows us to then know what it looks like to live for you. I pray that we can accept the mystery that comes with that of this being something that's revealed and ongoing and of the transformation that takes place. And I pray God that um, we would see great fruit for the kingdom come out of that. God, we just thank you for sending Jesus and thank you for the gift that he is to us. And thank you for the truth that he brings to our lives. I pray, God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray, God, that we'll live um, for that day and for that purpose. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.